uh, today's second reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And in my copy of the Pew Bible, it's on page 1141. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, thanks, uh, Steve, for reading God's word for us this morning. In Acts chapter 2, let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can have it freely read and explained, proclaimed. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we come under the uh, teaching of your word, uh, that both myself and your people here together will submit to this word and be encouraged in our faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, today we will continue um, uh, this, uh, this short talk here this morning on what is a model church. It's part two. Uh, we noted last time that this was a church that devoted themselves to uh, the teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and for prayers. And we looked at a couple of weeks ago on Acts chapter 2 and just verse 42. And today, uh, we are going to focus our thoughts on the next passage, which is Acts chapter 2, uh, 43 to 47. So let me begin with this uh, kind of question for us this morning as we look at this part 2. What is a model church? What comes up? in our minds when we think about a model church. What is a model church? What does it actually look like? What's the pulse beat of a model church? I wonder what the people in our community here at Surrey Hills think about us here at St. Stephen's. There are many people who drive past this place. Many of them stop at the traffic lights. What do they think about St. Stephen's? Do they know what's going on in this place? I, I just wonder what they must think. Uh, they're passing by on Sundays. They see the doors open. They see us uh, wishing one another at the door. They see cars parked here. I wonder what kind of thoughts must go through their minds. They see sermon titles on the boards. see boards coming up. I wonder what kind of things goes on in their minds. Well, put it another way. Uh, if this church was to close, we pray it never will, but if it does... Uh, will the community actually miss this place? Will they actually miss the church? Hmm. Will they miss seeing people here in this place? Or will some other big company like Macca's or Hungry Jack's or someone buy this place and make it a restaurant? Like if you go down to, uh, to Cranbourne, uh, they have a, they've converted the church. I don't know whether it's still there. And it's called Heavenly Pancakes. Is it, is it still there? It's still there, right? <laughs> okay, so convert a church building to call Heavenly Pancakes. Uh, I've never had those pancakes there. I'm sure it must be good. <laughs> uh, but anyway, besides the point. The fact is, well, well, what, what do people think about this place? What about visitors who come along? What do they think about this church? 
You see, the word church in the New Testament never refers to a building. We heard that this morning from Daniel. It never refers to a building such as this or a particular place. It always refers to a people. The church is a people, the called out people of God. For example, in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, the apostle Paul says this, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, Ephesians 1, 22, 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is the body of Christ. In this sense, the church is also the universal body of Christ, not just in the local sense, there is a body of believers across the world. So, uh, for example, when we heard about Nepal this morning, uh, we are part of that body of Christ. Uh, Yes, we are here in Australia, yes, we are here in Melbourne, but we are part of the body of Christ, wherever the body of Christ meets. It is his church. We are, in that sense, a broad, universal body of believers. But in the New Testament, the word church is also used to refer to a group of believers in a particular city or a place or in a particular house. For example, in Acts chapter 11, it refers to the church in Jerusalem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it refers to the church of God, which is at Corinth. The Thessalonian church is referred to the church that meets at Thessalonica. The Corinthian situation we read in 1 Corinthians 16, the churches of Asia send greetings. In Colossians, Paul says, greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. So that the church meets in local places. So there is a place for the local church. Now what kind of blueprint do we have for the church? Now this morning, as we continue to focus on the effects of, the, of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we get a picture of what I believe is a model church. It is not prescriptive in any shape or form, but certainly we have principles here, I trust, given in God's word, so that we can also model our ministry based on the structures that God has also put in place. So this by no means, as I said, is the only passage that gives us a script or blueprint for the church community. But it shows us what a spirit-filled community values most and how they manage to maintain the balance in ministry within the church community. So today we're going to look at part two of this. What does it mean? Uh, What what is a model church? Let me give you a quick uh, context here, reference as to uh, what we looked at last time. We have been working our way through, as I said in Acts chapter 2, in the last uh, couple of weeks, or last few weeks, in our morning service. In Acts chapter 2, we have the story of Pentecost Day. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. If one was to make a broad division of this chapter in Acts chapter 2, you could divide it along the following three broad divisions. We have one, the event, Pentecost itself. Secondly, the explanation of Pentecost, that is, Peter goes on to explain the event, that this event of Pentecost was tied with Old Testament prophecy, that Joel spoke in Joel chapter 2. So what happened in Acts chapter 2 was prophecy that was now being fulfilled. And then we have the effects of Pentecost here in Acts chapter 2, where the church now is brought to birth, and there is an incredible work that God has done, and there is an incredible uh, spirit of God working here that has brought this church from 120 members to 3,120 members in one hit. When, when Peter preached the sermon, they responded and they came in. A 26-fold increase. And this church, last time we noted, 
that they devoted themselves to four things to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to the prayers and so today's passage gives us further insight into the life of this early church and the first thing that we see here is that this church they were filled with awe you look at verse 43 everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles they were filled with awe what does that really mean you see this word awe can mean panic it can mean fear it can mean terror but in this context it also has a reference to reverence to respect for awe and a reverence for what is taking place and it appears that the miracles that Jesus performed were now being performed by the apostles we see for example in Acts chapter 3 where Peter heals a crippled man silver and gold have I none such as I have I give to you and he heals this man so what we see here is that wonders and signs were being done here to attest the ministry of Jesus and now it is being done to attest the ministry of the apostles and the result of these miracles that Luke gives us is, that, is the fact that these people were moved by, by God's amazing work and there was awe in the assembly of God's people now we know that Jesus did many wonders and signs and these wonders and signs were for a purpose in Acts chapter uh, 2 we read this men of Israel hear these words Jesus of Nazareth the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know so Jesus did wonders and signs and miracles and the signs and wonders that Jesus did served to attest him as the promised Messiah and so we could say that the wonders and signs were given to confirm that the message of the gospel was from God. And in this case now, it is given to the apostles to authenticate their message. In other words, the miracles in the narrow sense are granted by the Lord to demonstrate that the apostles had been sent by him with his word. And so this leads to an obvious question. Are wonders and signs for today, where we meet. Do we expect wonders and signs in this place? Should we expect when we meet together to see such some amazing miracles or wonders and signs or feelings or whatever? You see, uh, commentators vary on, on this issue. Um, I was reading one guy, uh, he says uh, he doesn't want to limit God. Uh, and in, in what he can do in a place. Now God may choose to do miraculous things. Healings and, and whatever. And who are we I think to say to God that he can't do it. We can't. Right? That's up to God and how he does things. Of course God does miracles. He does miracles. And what we see in the book of Acts chapter 2 right here. Is a miracle of 3000 people coming to know Christ. Every conversion is it not a miracle? <laughs> when we look around us, when we see each other here, aren't we um, a work of God's amazing miracles in our lives? 
Where would we be without Jesus changing and transforming you and me? It's a miracle of God's grace, is it not? <laughs> See, we don't need to look for big things. We can look to great things that God is doing in changing and transforming people's lives. Conversion itself is an amazing miracle. Where God brings a person without knowing him into a point of recognizing his son Jesus and giving him a new heart in, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit bringing conversion. It's an amazing miracle. So now when we speak of wonders and signs, let me draw your attention to what Jesus said to those who demanded demanded that Jesus do them. So we should be careful not to make this, that is, signs and wonders as a primary focus. As if we got to demand that God has to do signs and wonders and miracles because only then we are going to believe in him. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew uh, uh, chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, Jesus was saying, if you want a sign, then look at the resurrection. If you want a miraculous sign, Jesus says, look at what's going to take place. You see, Jesus did not go out and conduct healing and miracle services. He was not this cheap miracle magician who turns up at a place, rocks up there, and there's a miracle, and everybody looks at him and says, wow, this is great. He did miracles as a gestation. So that's a miracle, isn't it? The resurrection itself. So when we look at miracles and signs and wonders, we don't need to go looking for signs and wonders. When God converts people, that itself is a miracle. And if God chooses to do signs and wonders of healings, that is his prerogative to do so. But this congregation, they were struck, they were awestruck, reverence, uh, with, with a reverential fear of who God is. I wonder about that at times. <laughs> do we sometimes uh, stand before God in awe? When is the last time you were struck by the awesomeness of God? When is the last time you sat back and said, Wow, this is my God. This is our God. Have you been ever struck by the majesty of the amazing person? This amazing God. I, I, I still, still cannot work out this, this amazing God in my heart and in my mind. I'm all the time, I come unstuck. Have you worked out the amazingness of God? Have you? This is the God, you see. This is our God. You look at the scriptures, you see the mightiness of God. You see the amazingness of God. Look at the Old Testament. Even the priests could not come close to the ark, to the covenant itself. That is the awesomeness of God. It brings His judgment with fire. You see, we don't speak about the awesomeness of God. We don't speak about the wrath of God. 
We don't speak about his powerfulness in, in his works of creation. In his sustaining you and myself. The way he's created us in our most is created us and he knows us in our innermost being. This is this is this is the God that we worship. A miracle working God. A God who has taken you and transformed you. A God who has brought this guy from somewhere way off in Sri Lanka. Never ever expected I would ever be in Australia. Never ever expected to be a preacher in the first instance. <laughs> and a grace that brings that conversion. And you can, you have your own story, don't you? That's the awesomeness of this God. The congregation was struck with the awe of God. Are you? Further friends, this was a church that was united. Notice verses 44-45. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And, and they were selling their positions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Am I uh, having a bass sound coming out here? No? Good. <laughs> Alright. So, so what we see here is a harmonious unity that they were together. Now this does not mean that they were together in a local sense. Notice the text. What is seen here is the unity of the believers. The Bible speaks of many attributes of the church, not the least of which is the church's unity or oneness. If unity is to mean anything, it must be united and grounded in the word of God. This is part of being united in the apostolic teachings. Now we may have different opinions and views on, on, on how church is done. We may have different opinions on baptism, Armenianism, Calvinism, creation, whether it's seven days or how many days or years or whatever. We may have different issues, different understanding and opinions on theological issues. However, those of us who are relying on Christ alone for salvation are truly united in Christ and in the gospel. And there cannot be a compromise when it comes to the unity which is grounded in God's word. In other words, friends, we can have different opinions on lots of things, but there is no compromise when it comes to what? God's word. There is no compromise when it comes to Christ. There is no compromise when it comes to salvation through faith in Christ alone. They are the fundamentals. And so the church is called to stay united. I know now there are thousands of denominations uh, around the world. And we are not going into that this morning. But certainly the oneness of the church is seen. For example, in the 4th century, in the Nicene Creed, which is in the back of your, your hymn books, you will see that the church was defined with four particular qualifi- qualifiers. And it says this. You look at the Nicene Creed. We believe that the church is one. We believe that the church is holy. We believe that the church is Catholic. That is, that the church is universal. And we believe that the church is apostolic. That is, coming under the apostolic teachings. And you look at the scriptures. Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation. Is the cornerstone. The foundation is what the apostles have built on. 
In Christ the, found, uh, the cornerstone, the foundation is now being laid with the apostolic teaching. And so today we have these four important aspects of the church. The church is one, the church is holy, the church is catholic, the church is apostolic. You see, these early saints believed as scripture teachers that the church is one. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be, be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what binds us together ultimately? It's Christ. <laughs> what keeps us together is Christ. What keeps us united together is also Christ. And so I pray that we as a congregation will be united. And third thing that we see in this church is also that they were caring. Look at verse 44, 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is, friends, they shared their possessions. They were generous. Now, some people might say, some have regarded this particular text uh, and gone to extremes here, uh, as, some, as some form of endorsement of communism. Some kind of communistic ideas that's coming out in this text. Or perhaps even socialism. You see, communist ideas of communism is the sharing of goods. It is the enforced sharing of goods. Communism denies the right to private property ownership, where the government basically owns everything. And therefore, no one has the right to own anything. No right to private ownership of property. And so, communism is compulsory and has nothing to do with being generous. Now, the Bible does, does endorse the right of ownership to private property. I must say that. Look at Acts chapter 5, for example. Now, what about socialism? On the other hand, socialism does not deny the right of private ownership, but it denies the right of a person to have too many things when compared to someone else. That is the equal distribution of wealth. That's the socialistic agenda or philosophy of the equal distribution of wealth. So we sell everything and everyone's got an equal distribution of wealth. Is that what the text here is, is saying? The text has nothing. It has nothing to do with the redistribution of wealth or with communism or communistic ideas. Instead, what we see here is God's people being generous out of their own wealth. They are giving their possessions to other people, to those who are in need because they care and they want to share with those who are in need. And some of them sold their possessions and shared the proceeds of sales with the needy. And some were selling their land and giving the proceeds to the apostles to use within the church. Look at Acts chapter 4, 32 to 37. You see that there. I'm not going to read that section there where someone sold his land and brought the monies and gave it to uh, the, uh, the apostles they, they, for, for the work of the church. A massive generosity. Uh, I was on a committee. Uh, that uh, Six people on the committee. One was Professor Alan Harmon. You know, some of you know him very well. We were on a committee. We, had to, we were given the privilege and the joy 
of working out a bequest that was left for the Presbyterian Church of Victoria of guess how much? <laughs> Nearly two million dollars. Two ladies, two sisters left the money for the church. And part of that money, we took it aside and set it on a trust fund to be used for a church plant work. And part of that money was given for a church plant that today they have a fantastic building and a great work that is going on because a considerable amount of that bequest was set aside for that work. And I was at that church a few weeks ago. I was so overjoyed to see the work of the gospel prosper there. Why? Because someone was generous. Think about this church. Think about these facilities. Have you ever thought about nearly 100 years in existence here, 125 years? People in the past, they generously gave so that we can have, what a beautiful building here, right? <laughs> what beautiful facilities. Because people in the past were generous and they gave for gospel work. See, Dr. Montgomery Boyce uh, commenting on this says this, The early Christians shared their positions, not because they were communists or socialists. They shared their goods because they were generous. And they were generous because they had learned generosity from God. God had been generous to them, and they were determined to be generous with one another. What a wonderful God we serve, a God who is so generous. Right? Hasn't God been generous to you? You know, are you going to respond? <laughs> Hasn't God been generous to us? Yes. Of course he has been generous to us. He has been generous to us in all the blessings that we have in Christ. What a, what a tremendous blessing to know this God who has so freely lavished us with his amazing love and grace. And he continues to lavish that and pour out his love upon us in spite of who you and I are. God is so generous that he is a giving God. You see, our God is not just the one who sends, but our God is the one who gave. He gives. He gave his only son. That he who was rich became poor. Went to the cross. That's the generosity of our God. What a tremendous blessing that is to know this God. What a joy it is to know the generosity of our God. You see, notice that this church is also a, 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 a church that stayed connected. You see, this is a big church family. 3,120 people. And they stayed connected. How did they do that? You see, how does a congregation of that size stay connected to one another? Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They met in the temple. That was in public worship as well. And also by showing hospitality. They met also in their homes. You see, the temple platform was, was where they met in those mega halls. And the crowd met there to sing and to celebrate God's goodness to them. And this was perhaps the temple, was obviously the place that Jesus, in fact, was ministering. 
In Luke chapter 19, he was teaching daily in the temple. And the people had met there in the temple. That was the big gathering. But they did something else. They broke bread. They had communion. But it also, as I said last time, it could also refer to hospitality. Breaking of bread, communion, and also they enjoyed meals. Fellowship around food. Don't you like, you like no, I shouldn't be said that. We all love food, don't we? Um, yeah? <laughs> all right. Uh, we have different, <laughs> we have different kinds of food, right? Uh, look, look at, one of the commentators said that, says this, that when they had met, these people would have eaten bread, they would have had legumes, they would have had eggs, olives, dates, figs, and fish. When we meet, uh, we might have lots of other different foods, where we share a meal together. And you enjoy that fellowship. There is something about food that brings people of all cultures together. No wonder Jesus, he was in fact accused as being a glutton. Because Jesus sat around and ate food in people's homes. He did ministry around food. Hospitality, friends. You see, here at St. Stephen's, we have growth groups, don't we? You know how many people are in our growth groups, roughly? We are having a meeting this after church today with our growth group leaders. I was talking to John about this last Friday morning when we met. We have nearly 120 people in growth groups. And we praise God for that. But if you are not part of a growth group, I want to encourage you to get in there. Get connected. Don't be on the outside, you see. Get in there. Because in the growth groups, that's where ministry takes place. We get to know one another. We pray for each other and the wider needs of the church. And we study God's word. There is gospel ministry that takes place together. And some of these growth groups meet in homes. And in your homes, you might have food. You'll have supper taking place. There'll have all kinds of things going on. You might sing. You might worship. You will study God's words. You will rejoice and pray for one another. Stay in Connected. These people met in their homes and they were connected to one another. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. You see, this church is an example, a good example of how a massive church like this in Jerusalem stayed connected with each other through their worship at the temple, the big gathering and through their home gatherings. I want to encourage you, if you are not part of a growth group in this church, see John, see myself. Come and join us. Because that will be great to be part of this group as well. And notice, friends, something else. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was gladness when they met. There was joy. They had generous hearts. They had glad hearts. They had praising hearts. They praised God. And finally, this church was also a mission-minded church as well. Can you see that in this passage? Notice what this, uh, this church did. Having favor with all people... The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You see, they were a church that was outreaching. Their witness was attractive. They found favor. The the unbelievers were attracted to this church. They started to attend. They started to ask questions. What is going on? This congregation is awestruck. There are things happening here. They are caring. They are sharing. They are united. It is attractive. We want to know what's going on. They found favor within their community. And they started to attend. And the Lord saved these people. And the success here was given by the Lord. 
God is the author of salvation and of new converts. Uh, John Stott, I was reading John Stott in preparation for this talk, says that yes, while God uses his people to be his witnesses, God is the principal evangelist. I love that. God is the principal evangelist. He brings people to himself. The Lord added to this church daily those who have been, who are being saved. What a blessing that would be, isn't it? What does it mean to be saved? What are we saved from? We are saved from our sins. We are saved from the wrath of God against sin. We are saved from God himself. And we are given the gift of salvation. I want to ask you this morning, have you been saved? Are you a saved person? Do you know this Jesus Christ as your Lord? But I want to encourage you to consider knowing this Christ today. And these people praised God. And I won't go into the extent here, but the context gives us the clues. They praised God for what Christ has done for them. They heard the message. Their lives were changed. Miracles had taken place. They were transformed people and they were generous and praising God. What about your hearts this morning? Can you praise God? Can you really be generous with your heart? Is your heart glad this morning? So friends, as we close, say what is a model church? What we have seen in this section in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 certainly gives us a picture of what the church should look like. And we can learn the principles from this church. This early church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship of one another, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And further, this church was filled with awe and reverence for who God was and what he did. They were united, they were caring, they were connected, and they were mission-minded. What a church. I pray that God will help us uh, to put these principles in place and to be a church that will model gospel ministry. Uh, that our hearts will be glad today, be generous and praising God for everything that he has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are our God. We thank you, Lord, for what we have seen in this early church, for the way in which you added daily to the church. Father, we long for such conversions to take place here, right in this church, uh, in the church in Australia. And Father, we know that unless you build your church, we can achieve nothing. Because you are the principal evangelist. There is anyone here who has not been saved, wants to know, wants to know more about Jesus. We pray, Lord, that today might be the beginning of a new journey. In Jesus' name. Amen.